It's Tuesday, March 14th. Do you know where your money is? Makes me think of those old commercials. Do you know what your kids are doing right now? Well, right now there is a banking problem in the United States and people should pay attention to it. Now there is the CISA. The CISA is the Cybersecurity Advisory Committee. They would be against my show because they would probably say that I'm spreading false or misleading information that could pose a significant risk to financial services. I promise you, there is nothing about what I will be reporting today that is misinformation or disinformation. In fact, how do I know that I'm probably going to be accused of this? Because it was Representative Thomas Massey who put out on Sunday night, he got off a Zoom meeting with the Fed, the Treasury, the FDIC, the House, and the Senate, and there was a Democrat senator that asked whether there was a program in place to censor information on social media that could lead to a run on the banks. Later, people were saying that this was the first bank run fueled by Twitter. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. America Emboldened. Greg, I feel emboldened. You don't know the founding fathers. You don't know what they did. You don't know what they sacrificed. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to another episode of America Emboldened. I am your host, Greg Bolden, here on this lovely Tuesday. Hope that you're having a good day and that your money is safe and secure. As always, you can go to the www.americaoutloud.com, where you can check out plenty of articles, go to support our sponsors, and check out the America Out Loud talk radio on all of your favorite apps. And this show comes to you on all of your favorite podcast networks. Let's get straight into it. SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, they failed uh, right before the weekend. Then, during the weekend, we had our second bank fail in New York. And with this second bank that failed, there is now pressure on all the local regional banks. Now, when I recorded Monday's show, yesterday's show, I did not have knowledge of that bank failing quite yet. But I did have the information and indicators in front of me that told me that it was a very good uh, possibility that the regional banks were in trouble. Well, now we can see that this is uh, this is coming. It's coming full speed. I'm not sure there's much that we can do about it. If you've been listening to my show back in October, November, I started talking about Credit Suisse. And guess what? They're going to be back in today's episode because they're relevant to this conversation as well. We got Signature Bank failing. They are completely out of business now. The third largest bank failure in U.S. history since I recorded Monday's show to go on top of Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, But we're also likely on the cusp of having more banks fail rather quickly. And I, I wish that this was misinformation or disinformation. I wish that what I was telling you was not that the sky is falling. However, as I record this episode right now, there are banks in major, major trouble, such as if you look at the stock of the bank, First Republic Bank, that is uh, categorized by FRC. As I'm recording this right now, they're down 63.67%. 
that is more than half of their stock has crashed as a regional bank. We are seeing bank runs. This is not a Twitter led bank run. This is people that are paying attention to what's going on right now and saying, wow, the banks are in trouble. And there's been plenty of talk of this for some time. Now, First Republic Bank was on my list when I recorded the show yesterday to talk about banks that I felt were at some type of risk, as well as Western Alliance. Western Alliance is known on Wall Street as WAL. And as of this recording, they've been hedging back and forth between losing about 50% of their value. They currently sit at down 49.34%. PacWest was another bank that I had identified as being possibly in trouble. They are down 31%. And a bank that I thought was in a ton of trouble, uh, Zion Bank, that's around all these others, uh, is only down about 24% as of this recording right now. This is all happening while United States bank regulators have set up a new emergency loan program as a backstop for these deposits. Uh, Joe Biden's administration has stated that they will make sure that the investors have a uh, system in place to make sure that they can get their deposits. The government will look after them as well as uh, the depositors, creditors, make sure that the money is there, people can get this out. So, where do things stand? What should you do? As I told you on yesterday's show, it is time to prepare. Perhaps it might even be too late to prepare. I am not saying that it's a good thing to go on a bank run. I I made that clear yesterday because if we don't have calm right now, we will create the problem that we don't want to see. We will create a consolidation to the top banks in the entire world, and they will be your only options. There will be no local banks. And you're worried about a great reset. You're worried about an opportunity for the banking systems to put in a new digital currency with the Federal Reserve. I've been warning about this, and this is the perfect storm for something like this to happen. If you can hold, now's the time to hold if you're banking with a small regional bank. But I also don't want to tell people what to do. So this is not financial advice. This is just me simply telling you. We may look back on this time period here in March as what put in place a new system around the world. Because this is not a United States problem. Much like the Great Depression was not a United States problem, it was a worldwide problem. Japan has banks that are in trouble. Australia has banks in trouble. South Korea has banks. Hong Kong has problems right now. We are seeing that there is markets all across the world that are being shook by this, especially the European Union as well. Now, the FDIC uh, said on Sunday that all of the Silicon Valley bank clients would be protected and able to access their money. And people were quick to point out that this was not due to any type of taxes. I want to ask you a quick question. Where is this money eventually going to come from? Now, we can say, sure, it's not our tax money. They put this money off to the side for this type of emergency situation. Eventually, we have to replenish this money. Eventually, the the Pied Piper needs to be paid. That is going to create more inflation. Other people are saying, well, you know what's going to happen right now? The Federal Reserve is going to slow down on raising those interest rates to try to ease things. Well, the problem with 
lowering that in uh, interest rate is inflation's going to go up once again. And it's the little person that gets hurt, not the banks. Now, I understand this is not a bailout of the billionaires as of right now, but I guarantee they're talking about it right now. Under this plan that they put in place, depositors at Signature Bank and SVB um, that have holdings that exceed 250000 should be able to access their money already. It should already be in place. Also, what we're seeing right now is First Republic Bank um, had bolstered financial health by getting funding from J.P. Morgan Chase. Now, when I looked at my chart yesterday, what I discovered was J.P. Morgan Chase seemed to be one of the banks in the best uh, financial situation, according to their lower risk deposit base, and not also going with a higher risk deposit base. They were really around like a 50-70 uh, split which should protect them from this. Plus, they're a larger bank to begin with. Uh, so that First Republic Bank, as they're losing money and losing money, even though they have J.P. Morgan Chase, that bank may fall the J.P. Morgan Chase just purchasing it. The Fed had hoped that all these banks would have purchasers, Signature and SVB, over the weekend, that they would find a larger bank that could purchase. That did not happen. And I think I told you that Elon Musk, I thought, would consider purchasing uh, one of these banks. Well, that story has also come out as well that Elon Musk is considering a purchase of SVB. This would make Elon Musk one of the absolute most powerful people in the entire planet. Uh, that probably should scare everybody. Elon Musk would control uh, much of the automobile industry, the space industry, uh, part of the intelligence industry, uh, social media, as well as the banking industry. He'd become immediately one of the 20 largest bankers in the entire world. So that's the first part. Now, Joe Biden's trying to get out of this right now. He's, he's trying to get out in front of it and say the people should rest assured that his administration has eased their uncertainties about the second largest bank failure in U.S. history and the third largest bank failure with Signature Bank. And possibly we're going to see the fourth largest very soon. He spoke about the actions and he said, I want to give thanks to the quick action of my administration over the past few days. Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Well, Joe, where were you the last two years? As people have been trying to explain to you that inflation's too high, that the common person paying $10 for a dozen eggs in parts of our country is ridiculous. Where were you when people were trying to say that you have an impact on gas prices, whether you believe it or not? Where were you, Joe, when Americans were trying to explain to you that the Great Recession was already here in America? You turned a blind eye instead. You gaslit everybody and said, well, the markers for a recession aren't really here, despite the fact that when all the markers from all the other economists laid down would have shown you that, yes, we were in a recession and you knew it. Well, now he's saying, well, we took quick action. It is too little, too late, Joe. You have screwed America with failed policies. Now, I, I granted, granted, Joe, this is not all on your plate. 
right? I put a lot of this blame directly on Donald Trump and you. I put it on both of you because the response to COVID, the print money out of thin air, has worsened our financial condition. But it is you, Joe, that continues to write blank checks to places like the Ukraine. You, Joe, that continues not to go for a uh, to in front of Congress in order to declare what are actual official war actions may or may not be with Ukraine in this funding. Meanwhile, forgetting about what's going on here in our country. It's almost like you want to go the war to help reset, which you don't know how to fix. Now, Biden says that he's going to make sure there's full accounting to what led to the shutdown of Silicon Valley Bank and why those responsible can be held accountable. Well, does that mean you're finally going to end the Federal Reserve? Because I'm pretty sure Jerome Powell is one of the bastards that's responsible for why we got to where we are. Because if you look at the reason Silicon Valley Bank failed, it's because interest rates continue to go up while Treasury yields continue to go down until it destabilized the entire market. So you got nowhere to look but your Federal Reserve. Once again, Woodrow Wilson was a horrible president. I just like to say that occasionally as we go. Joe Biden also said, Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe, your deposits are safe, and let me assure you we will not stop at this, we'll do whatever is needed. Those were Biden's remarks on Monday regarding uh, what's going on here. Now, I would believe that statement from Joe Biden, except for the fact we have Congressman Thomas Massey, who says there are people in Congress that are asking how to censor information on social media that could put a run on banks. What the hell are they afraid of? I can tell you what they're afraid of. They're afraid of people on Twitter, like I pointed out the other day, saying, is this the beginning of the end of the markets? Uh, we're seeing things, people saying, we're getting worried about local banks. Um, they're saying, people saying, we're concerned we're going to have more bank runs, that the banks are now on the brink. I'm quoting from a bunch of different people as I'm reading this. The truth of the matter is, yeah, things are about to get really bad. They are. And I, I'm telling you guys right now, this is all part of the CBDC. That's the end game here. That's the way out of this. We change this over to a digital currency. Game over. Game over if you like freedom. This is the end of freedom. If the banks fall, if the small local banks fall right now, the end of freedom is upon us when it comes to your financials. And that will start affecting everything else. You think that Second Amendment rights are getting difficult now? Imagine Second Amendment rights when all of a sudden you can't go make a purchase because the digital currency led by the feds put a block on it. And this has all been in place for a while. I said at the top of the show, you got the CISA. They've been talking about their portfolio of critical infrastructure and whether they could classify tweets as a cyber attack that are calling for runs on a bank. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, getting a bit dicey. That's the best way that I would say. But I believe, let's just go with this, it is a fair question that when people that are shorting start spreading misinformation to manipulate that share price or the spark a bank run are trying to make money off themselves. So I'm going to make it very clear to my listeners right now. I have nothing shorted in the stock market. I barely even have stocks to my name. I have a few, but trust me, I'm small potatoes compared to everybody else. I've been losing money like the rest of America in the stock market. Um, I have pitiful earnings there, 
right? So that's in full disclosure. Also, this is not financial advice. However, what I will tell you is we got to be careful who we censor right now. The First Amendment is really important to make sure the people can be as prepared as possible for what is coming. If you go on to Twitter, there are people that are saying that Twitter is causing the bank run. I don't believe that for an absolute second. To say that Twitter created a bank run and the failing of the banks is to ignore everything that people have been talking about for the last three years happening in real time in front of your eyes. It's to ignore the fact that people have been telling you that this day is coming, almost as if it has been completely designed from the get-go. When the president starts telling everybody, don't worry, your banking system is safe, it's kind of like Ronald Reagan. I'm here from the government and I'm here to help. It sounds more like to me, we should start to be a bit fearful about what's going to happen next. I know I am. And I don't even mean like I'm fearful in the side of like, oh my God, this is like the end. I'm fearful in what's coming next and what at what cost is it going to be to us? If only I had a friend of the show who was an expert economist. Oh, that's right. I did have somebody on just a few weeks ago, Micah Termot, who used to work as a economist in the White House. And so I reached out to him and I'm going to try to get him on the show here. Um, but before I do that, uh, he gave me his angle of how he sees things. And so here's what he shared with me. He says, as a financial economist working primarily in the banking industry from 1983 until 2010, I can share. The reason Silvergate Bank and Silicon Valley Bank failed is the government regulation made too many people feel safe depositing large sums without paying attention to the bank's financial health. When that shallow confidence was undermined, depositors ran quickly. We need to replace government regulation with a system in which private sector analysts publish warnings on bank risks, capitalization, and portfolio concentration. Now, this is his first way to see it. I want to ask him questions when I get him on the show here soon. Uh, but the way he sees this right now, I would say, would be a direct contradiction to what Joe Biden is saying about how his administration can handle this and will take care of what's going to happen right now. It looks like instead of more government regulation, we need less government regulation. Now, the government has set up, there were six banks that they basically said were so important they couldn't fail. They were J.P. Morgan and Chase, which I told you, I think they're in the best standing out of all of them. Bank of America, which also is withholding uh, extremely well. Uh, then there was Goldman Sachs, which is doing okay right now. Morgan Staley. And then there's two banks that I'm concerned about. Wells Fargo and Citigroup. Now, Wells Fargo is down about 5% as I'm recording. Citigroup's down about 6.5% as I'm recording, which is more than double any of the other big banks. The reason why Wells Fargo scares me a bit is they had a test the same time that this bank failed. They lost a ton of people's money on their accounts. Their deposits never made it there, which sent up a red flag to me about what is going on with Wells Fargo that on multiple occasions now, money has disappeared from people's accounts via Zelle and now via just regular banking. And Citigroup, Citigroup does not look to be strong on some of these sheets either. Will the Treasury yields 
hurt one of these top six banks? Will one of them be like these local banks and fall into the same type of problem? Now, uh, Mike also wanted to clarify a couple other things. So I was like, huh, let's find out you know, where Mike stands on any of this. He says, the government guarantees to keep uninsured depositors whole, and it's a needless bailout that will pressure government officials towards further bailouts in the future. He says the worst part about bailouts is that they preclude the market from holding banks accountable, which is the only way to keep the system healthy in the long run. Insert applause right here because Mike is 100% correct. If we start to just immediately bail every single person that dumped huge amounts of money into these banks, as well as just make the banks, you know, bought out by the next company and make them whole again, there's no accountability to make sure that the interest rates versus the treasury yields get better. There's no way to fix the health at these banks. That's a major problem. Also states that one big reason the banks were so concentrated in high-tech related assets is that bank regulators discouraged banks generally from getting involved in these areas. Had regulators not been involved, there wouldn't be such concentrations in such a small number of banks, and the system would be safer on the whole. So there are the things we're going to talk to Mike Termat about. Again, in case you didn't know this, he's an Austrian Austrian school economist. He worked in the White House as an economist before, and he's currently a candidate for the Libertarian Party presidential nomination, a friend of the America Emboldened Show, and I'm glad that he's a friend, especially in these type of times where uh, I could use an expert in this area in order to make sure that we're hearing things properly. Now, at the beginning of the show, I mentioned Credit Suisse. Do you remember Credit Suisse and how I said they were about to go under back maybe uh, four months ago before the government got involved over in Europe? Well, Credit Suisse right now is in a world of hurt. Their shares reached a new record low as I'm recording this. They have fallen as much as 15% as their investors continue to pull the money, make sure that it's going lower and lower after the banks here of Financial and Signature Bank. Now, Credit Suisse has lost money for five straight quarters now and is expecting to post a loss before tax this year. It's down almost 10%. Uh, They're stating that they were going through this big transformation. Their CEO came out and said, look, we're going to have to cut jobs. We're going to have to do a bunch of stuff. We're going to lose billions of dollars uh, in order to make this whole thing happen. Are we going to see Credit Suisse fold? Are the contagions of what happened here in the United States going to move out to the contagion at the Credit Suisse market? It is a very real possibility right now of what we are seeing. Now, Credit Suisse is not the only European bank that is getting hammered right now. We are also seeing that Commerce Bank, which is Commer, C-O-M-M-E-R-Z Bank, CBK on the industry, is down 12.71%. Now, that is not commerce like you would know here in the United States, so please don't get uh, confused on that one. Also, Banco de Sabadell, S-A-B, is down over almost 12% right now. Uh, The European Bank Stock Index, it was down overall about 7%. Now, people are stating at Morgan Stanley that they don't think that they're going to see people forced into selling their bonds the way SVB did uh, because they have hedging programs in place. But uh, 
we could see the start of competition there in this European market where the larger banks are able to hurt the smaller banks, much like we're probably going to see here in the United States as well. Now, who's really being hurt by this? We talked about some of the companies like Roku. How are they going to keep their lights on with, with Biden's administration now talking about this? People need to figure out what type of bailout will be possible. What's going to happen as far as bailing out everybody, as far as the billionaires? Will the billionaires get bailed out once again, much like back 2007 and 2008? Well, the Biden administration has already stated they do not see what their action has been as a bailout. They said that there are no losses that are associated with the resolution of Silicon Valley Bank that are borne by the taxpayer. That's the official statement. I'm going to want to also ask Mike Termot if that is a true statement. Were any of the losses part of a taxpayer? Where eventually does this money come from? Am I wrong to think that we have to fund this emergency fund somewhere? We've got to pull it from somewhere. It's got to be made whole somewhere. Um, the FDIC insurance that we have, how does that all cover it? How does it not come back to the taxpayer? I want to understand that. I want to understand it in full so I can explain it to my listeners. They're also stating that um, in the past, uninsured depositors were paid out in full in every bank failure in living memory, except for IndyMac in 2008. So there's precedence for these type of payouts. But where does that money from that security uh, insurance deposit come from? How does the FDIC uh, fund it? Is that a separate line item that gets funded each year to make sure that money is uh, coming back in? I don't have the answer to that. That is not my expertise, but I'm going to try to get the answer from it. There's a senior administrative uh, official who reported that the deposit insurance fund is bearing the risk, so there's no risk or of funds coming from the taxpayers. However, here's what is not being said in all of that. Most taxpayers are also bank depositors, which means that there is a portion of their bank deposits that's used to fund the FDIC. So it's many ways an involuntary tax that's being levied by a government agency. Or perhaps I am misunderstanding that. Again, this is where Mike will be an expert to come in in order to tell us what I'm missing here as your bold American leader on this. So with that all stated, you're not going to want to miss Mike Tremont break it down for you. He's got an extensive background in banking. He's worked for the White House. He's got his PhD in economics. This guy is just the expert we need to tell us, should we panic or should we have calm? And I think I'm going to really enjoy this interview because I really enjoy Mike. All right, we'll be right back after the break, everybody. Make sure you're visiting our sponsors. They're helping to make this extra long show for you today. So here's some words from all of them. Please go visit them. It helps keep America out loud, shining as a beacon in the night. We'll be right back. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. A wide spectrum of programming from world and political news to societal, your health and cultural stories. Seven amazing years of news stories, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. 
America Out Loud Talk Radio. The liberty and justice for all. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Welcome back, Bold Americans. I have a special guest to talk about this $100 billion that has just been wiped off the U.S. banking market just today, Monday. We're not even going back to when the bank started failing. And so I was like, well, what economists do I know? And lo and behold, I had just met Mike Termot, who is the libertarian uh, candidate. He's running for president to be selected here in the next election cycle. And I remembered he worked for the White House as an economist. So, Mike, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks, uh, Greg. I really appreciate that. Although I, I do realize, as you and I have discussed, that uh, me being a libertarian and even for that matter, having worked for the White House is probably not as important as the fact that I spent 20 years in the banking industry, including uh, being on the uh, on the spot on the banking floor uh, twice in my career to close banks. Uh, wow. on behalf of a bank takeover, uh, working in conjunction with the government. So fortunately or unfortunately, I've been through this. I sort of wish I had no idea what was going on, but I feel badly for some of the employees and uh, some of the depositors involved in this mess. Certainly. And so, yes, you uh, you served as a financial economist from 1983 till 2010 in the banking industry. So definitely don't want to shortchange you there. It's why you're the expert and I'm the podcast host. <laughs> so so I, I've been talking for months about Credit Suisse, what was going on over in uh, the UK with their banking, uh, where their CEO basically had to lay off tons of people, cut billions of dollars in order to just stay open. Yeah. And now we're seeing uh, Silicon Valley Bank, which yep. seems to be what I told my my listeners, a perfect storm of raising interest rates while having extraordinarily low treasury yields. And it squeezed the bank to a position where there eventually was this run on $42 billion worth of money in 10 hours, yep. uh, which effectively closed the bank. 
Yep. Fill in the blanks. As an economist, somebody who's worked in the bank, how does something like this uh, happen? And I know this is a lengthy, probably answer, but uh, am I well, did I simplify things too much by saying it's interest rates, the Federal Reserve, and Treasury yields? What are some of the other factors? Uh, well, yeah, those are uh, the important ones. And you know what really matters is the change in interest rate environment over time, right? Uh, if almost irrespective of what the interest rate environment is, if it's stable, an institution can plan for it. So it's when things change that really causes problems for institutions. And you put your finger right on it, rising interest rates made it hard for them to uh, raise money against what are largely in their portfolio fixed interest rate, whatever that interest rate is, but fixed uh, rate earning assets. And so they found themselves uh, losing money fairly quickly made people nervous. And that's what created a run on the uh, on the bank. The, the other thing to bear in mind, in addition to everything you just said, which is absolutely correct, is that there's there are reasons why this bank failed and not others. In other words, there are thousands of banks in the United States. And, uh, you know, we're looking at a couple of failures, not uh, a couple of hundred or a couple of or, or a couple of uh, thousand. The the bank in Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley Bank, of course, had a run uh, has had a run because it, it has a couple of characteristics that are different from other banks. One is that its asset portfolio is different, highly concentrated in high tech, uh, highly concentrated in California, by the way, not just high tech around the world. And so uh, as as all of your listeners know, high tech is, has uh, been through a, a, a bit of a ringer uh, the past year, past couple of years, uh, but increasingly so. This also caused some downward pressure on, on the bank's earnings, but more importantly, uh, created concerns about the bank's assets, made people nervous uh, mm -hmm. about the bank. And, and remember, that the other characteristic that makes this bank stand out, it had a tremendous amount of hot deposits, deposits that are large, that were not time committed. And so when money started to flow out, it started to flow fast and in big chunks. So as, as your listeners may well know, uh, the federal government, technically the FDIC, which is uh, financed by the banking industry itself, but backed up by the full faith and credit of the Treasury Department, the FDIC uh, insures deposits up to $250,000. And that means as a practical matter, you can get insured your deposits up to you know a million dollars if you play your cards right. You okay. can have different types of accounts, you know, you and your spouse and your kids and uh, joint accounts count separately commercial accounts are set. So you can see where this is going. Um, for there to be uninsured deposits, you have to be a heavy hitter. Where are there a lot of heavy hitters? <laughs> the tech industry. <laughs> right. And so this bank was unusually beset with a lot of money that 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 needed to run quick. Um, you know, if they had Mike Tremont's deposits, uh, those aren't going anywhere anytime fast, not because I don't care about my money, uh, not because I pay any less attention to my bank than anybody else does, 
but because uh, I don't have a problem where I'm going to burst the $250,000 deposit level uh, for purposes of insurance. So I'm just not going to worry about it. Right. But there were a lot of folks who had money in there that they had to worry about and, and they got it out. And of course, the irony is that the only reason it was in there in the first place is because they thought it was safe. And of course, this brings up a, a real conundrum in the banking industry regarding public policy. The federal government, in, in my view, has to do a better job of making clear that it does not back up those deposits, that it does not insure those deposits, in contrast to what they have said in the last couple of days, which is that they will back up those deposits. And the reason I believe that they have to do a better job of saying that they won't and then back it up by not backing up those deposits is because that's what makes people pay attention. And we're not talking about me again. We're not talking about the little guy, the normal guy, 99 percenters. We're talking about the one percenters who, and I don't mean to sound completely insensitive because they're humans too, right? Right. I'm not an eat the rich guy, right? Uh, unless he's sitting on my table, and we'll see how that goes. But I'm I'm not a per se anti-rich kind of guy. I just feel like if you're the kind of person who's depositing a million dollars in a bank, maybe it would behoove you to pay a little bit of attention once in a while to where that money is. Maybe you could do yourself a favor. <laughs> and pay a little bit of, of attention, and you would have a little bit of incentive to do so if the federal government would remind you once in a while, hey, ding dong, over a quarter million, you're on your own. Uh, but the federal government did not do that. And over the weekend said, well, I believe on Friday, uh, time has moved so quickly, I've lost track, right? Yeah, so it was over the weekend, the Biden administration, Congress, uh, FDIC, everybody was meeting. And they decided yep. that they were going to guarantee that all the money would be made whole. And exactly. so that tells me. And this me, really causes problems for the next next situation. Correct, because there's no accountability, right? So if we don't have accountability in our, in our lending, if we don't have accountability in our banking, uh, eventually we're going to see a global collapse. And this is not just something that we can learn from 2007, 2008. We have the Great Depression. Which it is, by the way, which, which it is. Correct. But we also have the Great Depression where we saw the international market was in a depression, much like right now the international market has been in a great recession with all the inflation. And we're back at a perfect storm for 1929 to 1939. Well, you're right. And and you're you're right to bring up international issues because so often bank contagions, as we call them the the fear that spreads like a contagious disease so often crosses national borders not just because everything is related but because in a weird way uh it's slightly unrelated too in other words sometimes we look into another nation we see its banking system we know that there might be some distress Maybe it's because of what's happening in the United States. Maybe it's because of what's happening in their own country. Maybe it's something that's happening nearby. Right. And we don't understand their banking system as well as we understand ours. And so the fear gets heightened. So, for example, when there were problems in the 1990s in one Asian country, 
that had nothing to do with what was going on in another Asian country, right? Uh, mm -hmm. the, the systems in Thailand and Taiwan were completely different, except for the fact they both began with a T. <laughs> but when one had a problem, a lot of Americans, their fear was escalated. And all of a sudden they were pulling out of Thailand, Taiwan, Singapore, South Korea, just because let's play it safe. That's where runs come from. So we're in a weird position where we need more disclosure of what's going on inside of a financial institution, as well as what's going on inside of a system. And we need, to your point, Greg, more incentive for people to pay attention to that information by having the government back off. So, you know, the counter argument is, well, it's a pain in the neck for everyone to pay so much attention. The government ought to be the one that pays attention. The government regulators ought to take responsibility, uh, make sure that the, examine the bank, make sure that the bank is sound and let us know and then back up all the deposits. Well, the problem is that the, the regulators can't do a perfect job of that. And when we rely on them, it means that the institutions take enormous risks compared to what they would if they had to stay in the straight and narrow, to use your word, accountability, if they were accountable to their to their creditors, their depositors and other creditors, uh, they wouldn't take on those kinds of risks and, and be able to stay in business. And so the government is not trying to, but effectively undermining the safety and soundness of the uh, of the system. Yeah, I'm seeing uh, Joe Biden came out and he said that, you know, taxpayers don't have to worry. This isn't any taxpayer money. We're not doing this with any taxpayer funds. And well, so I'm looking at this as is this it's a little bit deceptive. I believe what he's saying, because, yes, the FDIC is funded by banks in order to have this type of rainy day. Yeah. But is the FDIC prepared for a $200 billion payday? Um, at what point that the Federal Reserve have to get involved and print money? Like, will this eventually yeah. come back on us? Uh, no and yes and no and yes. Uh, the, the FDIC is not prepared to take care of a $200 billion problem, but this is not a $200 billion problem. That's the good news. Okay. Uh, yeah, there, there's $200 billion of deposits. Um, I don't know exactly what the number is for uninsured deposits in addition to insured deposits. But even if it were all of $200 billion, uh, the assets of the bank will offset the lion's share. No, no, the most disastrous case that you and I could imagine, those assets are still going to be worth the lion's share of what they were on the books for a month ago. So when the FDIC takes over a bank, and they did look for a suitor to acquire the bank and manage this for them, couldn't find one. Uh, which is a little bit weird, but I think speaks to the weird nature of the bank itself. Right. Most banks, uh, sight unseen, another bank would be happy to acquire for pennies on the dollar because you know they imagine that it's normal stuff they're going to find when they walk in the door on Monday morning. With this particular bank, uh, they were not so confident. They know they have a strange portfolio. They might not have expertise in, in tech-related assets, they're not touching that, right? 
Right. Well, plus a sense. lot of other big institutions got problems of their own this year. So <laughs> why am I going to take on your problem? So anyway, the FDIC is stuck with it. But when the FDIC takes over a bank, they uh, have the ability uh, to put the bank into receivership, which is what they're doing, of course, with Silicon Valley. It means they're going to have control of the assets. They'll be able to sell off the assets and use that to pay off the depositors. So that's all fine. And, and does the FDIC have the assets to handle the marginal difference? Yes, they do. Having said that, do they have uh, what it would take to handle uh, taking down a whole bunch of banks in the banking system? No, they don't. So it is in their interest to make sure that this does not turn into some weird contagion and spreads across the United States. I don't think that there's a, a major risk of that because this particular bank is peculiar. Uh, what, what took this bank down is not common to all, a lot of other banks across the United States. So I think that they're gonna be okay. Now, as to whether it's taxpayer money, FDIC money, comes directly from banks. Banks pay insurance premium, uh, premia uh, over the right. years. And when the FDIC is fully capitalized at what Congress says that should be, certain percentage of insured deposits, then the banks don't have to pay any premium uh, at all for some period of time. And then when the FDIC fund is depleted, they have to kick more money in. So in one sense, I get why the White House and Congress is claiming this isn't taxpayer money, right? Because the banks right. are going to have to replenish the fund. However, having said that, as you and I know, anytime you uh, tax a corporation uh, or charge insurance premia, you say potato, I say potato, it's the same thing. Those costs are, are necessarily going to get passed on. They're going to get passed on to customers, both commercial and retail customers. They're going to get passed on to employees who are not going to get the raises that they wish that they had gotten next year. Um, they are going to get passed on to shareholders who are not going to get all of the dividends that they were expecting. So all of the costs are eventually borne by real human beings, you know, real live uh, Americans like like you and me. And so in that sense, it doesn't get passed down to someone because of their taxes, but it certainly gets passed down to to real live Americans. Right. So another concern that I have, so it sounds like you seem a little bit more confident that we're not looking at a, a huge collapse of the banking industry. I, I'm, I'm fairly confident. I'm not making a guarantee. I don't have right. the uh, trillion dollars to back that up, but I'm pretty, <laughs> sure. I feel pretty good about it. <laughs> you don't want to write that check. I understand. Yeah. So I'm looking at what happened to the small banks today. And yeah. the small banks took an absolute killing on the market, losing almost 60% of their value yeah. uh, on Wall Street. Yeah. Can the small banks overcome this run that's going on right now and the lack yeah. of support in the stock market? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they can. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, none will, uh, none will fail. But I think in large part, they will. They're still well capitalized on their books, uh, even though their traded value on, on stock markets uh, has been largely eroded. Uh, that won't affect, at least not immediately, that won't immediately affect their ability to you know, prove solvent and stay, stay afloat. Um, the, the run on them from depositors 
that's the kind of thing that does matter. But pursuant to our earlier conversation, most smaller banks don't have nearly the ratio of big deposits to small right. deposits that uh, the Silicon Valley had, for example. And so I think most of them will be in pretty good shape. And remember, when when you lose 60% of your value in the stock market, uh, that sounds awfully dramatic. Well, and it is. Uh, there's no, there's, there's no, there's no sugarcoating that, right? In one day, that's but, horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, yeah, it's even worse than my 401k, and that's saying something. Uh, but remember that the uh, the losses in a bank's portfolio all show up. Uh, the losses in in a bank's earnings potential all show up in the bottom line in the equity category. So uh, just because you've lost 60% of the value of your equity doesn't mean the entire bank is all of a sudden, you know, worth 60% less than it was. Their assets are not, for example, taking a 60% hit. Uh, it's just that that marginal right. at the end, right? Assets net of liabilities, that piece gets eroded pretty quickly when when the assets take a, a more moderate hit. So, Mike, you have a, a, a voice here that's much more calm than what I'm seeing online on social media. And mm -hmm. there have been uh, people in Congress that are asking for censorship of Twitter voices. One congressman even went as far as to say, we saw the first Twitter run on a bank, that it was a run on the bank created solely on Twitter, which I disagree with. I, I didn't even know about SVB until after the run had already happened. I didn't see that. But I do see uh, world figures all over the globe on Twitter right now saying there's going to be a run on banks. Yeah. And I'm concerned about what I'm reading. I, I'm, yeah. I'm pro First Amendment. Yeah. But calm over panic is really important. If we know our history, if all of a yep. sudden everybody gets a run on the bank, we're going to have big banks fail as well. We need to have yep. some calm in this. So I, I appreciate the fact you have a calm voice right now. This I'm is curious. not my first rodeo, Greg. Yeah, absolutely. If you've had yeah. banks that have closed with FDIC your, your, before, you your, uh, viewers will notice I have more gray hair than you do. <laughs> and you're only two years older. I mean, <laughs> it, it's amazing, Greg. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm 29. I just have a lot of gray hair. And it happens. Yeah. So I guess what I'm looking for right now is if you want to give a, a message of confidence to the banking public, people mm -hmm. that are hearing the headlines right now, they're seeing podcasts, they're seeing what the people on social media are saying. Yeah. What is your message to them? Uh, stay put. Uh, the same thing I would say about the stock market. Uh, if you're in the stock market as an individual investor, it should be uh, for the long term. And in that sense, you know, don't be doing something like like selling. Um, if you're a depositor, uh, stay put. Um, if you're a depositor with a million dollars deposited in one single institution, that should probably be spread across three or four institutions. Right. That's the and and then you don't have to pay any attention at all. Now, if you've got so much money that you just can't spread it across a bunch of institution, right? You've got five hundred million dollars deposited in banks, which would be weird even if you were a billionaire. Um, you know, then then you're going to have to start paying attention. I mean, there's just no other way around it. You're going to have to us uh, to to figure out uh, which institutions you should be in and which ones you should not be in. But 
as far as the financial system goes, you should sleep uh, just fine uh, tonight. I wouldn't worry about it. Now, to your point, uh, you are correct that it is not true that this was a Twitter run. This was a Silicon Valley run. You know, the combination of uh, deposits that that were arguably mismanaged by the depositors as well as by the bank, uh, assets that were too highly concentrated, probably not enough disclosure, uh, regulators um, doing what regulators do. You know, they made sure that the bank was on top of things. Uh, regulators obviously don't have the expertise that, that the banks do. And so they were only able to say that from an administrative point of view, everything seemed fine. But we need to get to a place where we're in the opposite of censorship, where we have more disclosure, more information. Can you imagine the panic that would set in if the government decided we weren't allowed to talk about it? <laughs> At that point, even I would get worried. Even you would get worried. You would have gray hair if the government decided that we were not allowed to talk about this. Now I'm worried, right? Because now we, we have not just a financial services problem, but we've got an economic management problem. And, and that really would be something to, uh, to worry about. So we need to get to a place where the, in my view, the regulators actually back off. I would like to see an environment in which banks have an option not to be regulated at all. As you may know, most banks uh, today are able to choose at least one of their regulators Correct. to be regulated by the Fed or by your state uh, banking authority or by the FDIC or by the Treasury Department or some combination of those. I would like for banks to have an option of not being regulated at all, in which case they would have to invite in some private sector auditor, right, accounting firm, which they do anyway, which they do anyway, by the way, but they would have to pay an even bigger fee in lieu of the fee that they pay to their regulator now for a more thorough audit and have a private sector organization help them with the disclosure that depositors need to make uh, good decisions. And I think if we operated in that environment, an organization like Silicon Valley Bank would probably have to pay a larger fee for a more thorough audit than most institutions because of the nature of their asset portfolio and the nature of their deposit portfolio, but it would be worth it. Uh, their auditor would have told them months ago Get your act together. There's a few things you're doing wrong. They're going to make people nervous. And uh, I would say, again, no guarantees, but I would say you'd have a better shot of having diverted this problem. So I'm going to take this to one other spot, maybe two spots as we get in the Federal Reserve here. I have a question. Yeah. So just, uh, I guess it was last week, Pal said that they're going to have to raise interest rates again. Yeah. With this report with Silicon Valley and now seeing that all these banks are taking a hit in the stock market on Monday. Yep. Yep. There's now pressure next week for him not to raise the rates with the Federal Reserve. That's right. If they don't raise the rates, is this another inflationary marker? Is this yeah. another spot that's going to eventually hurt the middle class yeah. uh, versus the rich? Yes. Okay. Next question. So I'm I'm reading the tea leaves properly on that one. That's yeah, that's scary. I I, th I think that is a problem. Uh, we do not have inflation under control now, uh, which is too bad because we've been working at this for some time. I think it is likely uh, that it, 
to eventually get inflation under control, we're going to have to tip into a recession. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be very, very difficult for the Fed to engineer a soft landing, as they as they say, which is to say lower inflation without uh, causing a recession, particularly now. Um, for example, if they were to put it off, and I and I hope they don't, if they were to put off the increase in interest rates, that just means they're going to have to do it later, probably more uh, than than they would have to if they if they were to do it now. And that increases the chances of pushing us into a recession, which, of course, ironically, increases the chances of bank failures. So not only do I think it's better for inflation, I think it's better for our economy and ironically, better for uh, the banking industry to take care of business now and increase rates now. And by the way, I want to apologize to your viewers. I got a weird lighting thing here going on, which just changed a moment ago as the sun went behind the tree line. Uh, I'm sitting in a very uh, strangely lit place. And as the sun goes down, there's just very little I can do about it. So I apologize for that. No, it's the beautiful thing of a Zoom call. As lighting changes, so does the image. (laughs) The autocorrect. Yeah. So that's that's the Fed question, the first half. The second half is the part that I'm seeing from fears of people about the Fed uh, putting digital currency in place to counteract all this as the end game. Um, I've been talking about the central bank digital currency for a while now. I know they've been doing a test with the big six banks this year. They started in January and uh, Wells Fargo mysteriously lost money at the exact same time that Silicon Valley went down. People are concerned that that's part of a stress test. That's part of the digital currency. Uh, they're manipulating right now to see what they can control. Yeah. Is this all of which a, is true, right? Is this a real fear? The digital currency may be the end game, or uh, is this something a scare tactic? Uh, I think it may be the end game. I think it's unreal. I, I, in other words, I don't think. Uh, look, I, I've dealt with uh, you know the folks at the Fed for a long time, and I have every respect for those folks. Very, very uh, talented, smart, hardworking. Uh, you know, righteous American patriots. But having said all of that, I don't give them so much credit as to believe that they are in control of anything more than what they say they're in control of. And I don't even think they're in control of what they say they're in control of. Mm. It's just, it's just not possible anymore for them to control markets the way they, they used to think that they could. So, where are we going? Uh, I am hoping that the Fed backs off of issuing its own cryptocurrency. I think it would really be a problem for the competing currencies that I think in the long run have a better shot of being successful, particularly in terms of settlements of smart contracts, which I think are just a handful of years away. I'm afraid that the Fed will add characteristics to its cryptocurrency that make that difficult, not not trying to do that. But, for example, disclosure requirements, tracking uh, and disclosure uh, requirements could really bollocks things up. I also believe that smart contracting is going to require characteristics that that we don't yet know, that we don't yet anticipate that. We, we couldn't appropriately design the right currency at this moment. And therefore, 
we need a market of competing currencies to figure out which one is going to be the the best most well suited to the tasks ahead and can you still hear me greg i can still hear you yes okay i don't know what went wrong with my camera but um without that i'm afraid that the smart contracting economy will really be slowed down and the one thing that could prevent that competition is the fed getting involved well i, I think that uh the fed getting involved right now has a ton of people nervous on the on their seats uh they're worried about their financial future they've saw the fed pump money after money during the pandemic and they're just concerned about what does this banking mean on top of uh, the banking uh, failure here, on yeah. top of uh, interest rates going up, the Fed possibly needing to print more money to cover things. Uh, so I appreciate you kind of coming on and being the voice of calm today. Uh, that's well, I appreciate that. I've enjoyed being with you. Uh, I'm sorry that the camera cut me off, but that's probably uh, just as well fine for everybody involved. Uh, just let your audio, audience know that, um, you know, stay the course, don't panic. Uh, the system is going to be fine. We just need the government to back off a little bit and let markets work. Wonderful, Mike. I appreciate your time today. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to go to uh, see a little bit more about Mike Termot, he's running for president. He's a libertarian. You can go to his website, learn all about him on the issues, MikeTermott.com. That's M-A-A-T.com is how you spell the last name. So actually, I'm going to spell the whole thing. Mike, M-I-K-E, Ter, T-E-R, Mott, M-A-A-T.com. Make sure you go over there, check out his platform. Common Sense Guy, very personable. We enjoyed having him on the America Emboldened Show here just a few weeks ago. Um, and Mike, you're welcome anytime, as I said last time. And thank you for being my expert economist today. Thank you, Greg. You have a great uh, program and uh, it's been a lot of fun. We'll talk to you later. Sounds great, Mike. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Well, there you have it, folks. That was Mike Termont, friend of America Emboldened, another bold American and absolute pleasure to have any time we speak with him on the show. I hope that you found it fruitful, found it calming. We're coming up on one hour of America Emboldened, so it is time for us to go here. We've overstayed our welcome, but if you like this type of content, make sure you go to my Substack, subscribe, go to Twitter, at RealGregBolden. Feel free to buy me a cup of coffee, help support the show. That's it, that's all. You've been listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. Be bold, America. <laughs>